Are we ready? Are we rolling? We, uh, we're rolling, right? Just on everything here. Okay, so we need a robot car story. I got a robot car story. You have a robot car story. Right, Go ahead, Aaron. All right, so, so last spring I was invited to um, attend this kind of fancy invitation-only workshop about autonomous vehicles. Um, there were like about 30 people in the room and, and actually kind of some heavy hitters, you know, it was like a couple of Obama administration cabinet secretaries and um, some tech and real estate CEOs and big environmental policy people. The event was billed as a kind of blue sky workshop to take advantage of this, you know, unique opportunity we have right now to plan and prepare for the advent of autonomous vehicles. And this is the elite, you guys were the elite who were gonna figure out how to do this. Totally, we were like the special people who'd been chosen and and it was such a great premise and so cool to be in this room that even like the 78 year old real estate CEO stayed for the entire four hour workshop right. and was just like brainstorming like a college freshman, like everybody was totally into it. And the workshop ends and we say goodbye and I'm heading down the elevator with um, three other workshop attendees and two employees of the real estate company and the elevator just gets stuck. No, seriously? <laughs> yeah. Just the elevator d- just stops moving and you have that moment where, you know, there are like six people who don't know each other in an elevator and you kind of look around and you're like, is anyone, all right, first, is anyone crazy? Right. In this elevator? Right. Yeah. Are we going to be right. okay? Yeah. The, the two real estate employees whose building it was were utterly <laughs> furious. You know, it seemed like this had happened before. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and we're literally in a brand new high tech building. We'd just been with the guy who owns and runs and built and manages the building. Right. And we're, stu- you know, and we're stuck in this elevator. And so inevitably, the four of us who were in the workshop just sort of continue the conversation of the workshop. And of course, it turns to the fact that here we are, we're in an elevator, which, you know, and when elevators emerged in the 1850s, it was a totally revolutionary idea that was going to change cities. It made skyscrapers possible. It did change cities. Yeah. And, and, you know, when elevators started, they all had drivers. They had elevator operators. And by the 1960s, Elevator operator was a job that had pretty much disappeared, you know, except in some special cases. Yep. So even elevators went through this same change that cars are potentially going through now from yep. drivers to driverless. So we're chatting about that and it takes about an hour and they have to call a specialist oh from God. Otis <laughs> and they have to call the, the New York City Fire Department. Did but you check your food supplies? We, we were getting there. We were getting right. We were like, which one of us is like the most, you know, if we have to eat one of us, who's going to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, You're a big guy, Aaron. I, I think probably they had, the, for you. Yeah, yeah. I had the most yeah. meat. Yeah. And, and so they get us out of the elevator, but it was kind of just this perfect coda to the event as a, as a reminder that technology always breaks. It's only as good as it is reliable. And the more complex technology is, the more likely it's going to break. And if I had simply chosen to walk the four flights of stairs, I'd have been home an hour and a half earlier. But there I was in an elevator, 150-year-old technology that still often doesn't work. All right, it's time for The War on Cars, a podcast about the two-ton behemoths that are killing and maiming so many of our fellow human beings. Is that a good opening description of yeah, what I we're talking about here? Yeah, I think it's that. It's that they completely are dominating human beings in every way. Don't forget the horn honking, the oh, exhaust yeah. spewing, the yes. uh, space hogging, mm-hmm. yes. and the rage-inducing. But, you know, if you get the drivers out of there, all that will be exactly the right. same. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm Doug Gordon. I'm a TV producer and Safe Streets activist online. You might know me as Brooklyn Spoke. In the trenches with me here is Sarah Goodyear and Aaron Napperstek. Sarah is a novelist, a journalist, and she writes a lot about cities. Aaron is also a Safe Streets advocate and the founding editor of Streets Blog. 
So our topic for today, robot Robot cars. Yeah, driverless cars. Autonomous vehicles, AVs. That are supposed to solve all the problems of cars by being cars. But before we get started, we need to pause for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Cars. Do you need to go to work, take the kids to school, or bring an elderly relative to a doctor's appointment? Then why not try Cars? With Cars, you can travel everywhere you need to go in climate-controlled comfort all year round. Thanks to a nationwide network of roads and free or low-cost parking, Cars will take you anywhere you want to go. Cars may not be right for everyone. 40,000 Americans will die each year from cars, not including deaths caused by exposure to particulate matter, and the adverse health effects of using a mobile living room for daily activities that could otherwise be accomplished on foot or by bike if our country hadn't spent a century subsidizing the highways, roads, and parking that make cars possible. Use caution when planning journeys, as cars may render cars completely useless as a reliable form of transportation. Exposure to cars can turn ordinary people into psychopaths and increase the likelihood that someone who, in any other situation, would never even consider harming another person could suddenly, through a brief moment of distraction, be responsible for the death or life-altering injury of a fellow human being. The resources used to produce and power cars could destabilize the climate to the point where Earth is turned into an uninhabitable hellscape in your lifetime. Ask your conscience if cars Cars are right for you. That's going to be a viral hit. That's, that's going, going viral. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> but also a good illustration of perhaps why we don't really want a whole lot of ads on this podcast. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and why we are asking you, our listeners, if you can help us out, we're going to do a Patreon drive to get subscribers. You can go to patreon.com slash the war on cars pod. And we've got lots of different uh, donation levels, everything from $2 all the way up to a million dollars. And with your contributions, you will get uh, War on Cars merchandise, stickers, T-shirts, depending on what level. I think like the top prize is we'll take you biking around around Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're really going to need your help because we, we literally just lost all of our car sponsors. Uber, yeah, exactly. Uber, I was going to say Lyft, Cardigo. No, uh, our best target. No. They're yeah, all they're out. Not now. Gonna they're happen. all out. They're Don't all out. Not going to yeah, happen. Yeah. So, yeah. So hit that Patreon, people. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. All right. Let's get started. So, um, driverless cars. Uh, everyone's got a lot of opinions on them. They represent, um, depending on your point of view, an amazing opportunity for the future of cities, or the worst thing to happen ever. Aaron, you have some. Uh, you have a clip for us that you want to play about the positive side of what driverless cars can do. Right, so here's a video uh, from Robin Chase. Robin is the founder of Zipcar and the author of a book called Peers Inc., which is about the sharing economy. And Robin has been really focused uh, lately on the future of autonomous vehicles. She has this video up on YouTube, you can check it out. And the video looks at two scenarios. One is where autonomous vehicles bring about hell for cities, and the other is where autonomous vehicles bring about a kind of utopian heaven. Here's the hell part. For trips, once you get to your destination, instead of paying for parking downtown, it'll be cheaper to have your empty AV circle the block or drive back home. The same is true for stores. It could be cheaper to have a drugstore car drive to customers than to pay for retail space downtown. 50% of the cars will have no people in them, running low-value errands or avoiding parking. Okay, so here's here's Robin's heaven. Instead of spending $9,000 a year on your own car, When we combine car sharing and ride hailing and buy a seat in a shared autonomous vehicle, we can get door-to-door transport at the speed of private car travel for the cost of a subway ticket. This transforms people's access to opportunity. Okay, I have plenty to say about that. Okay, yeah, so, so, all right. (laughs) I I have a lot to say about that. Right, okay. (laughs) So so Robin Chase has given us heaven and hell. Where Where do we come down? Well, her heaven and my heaven are very, very different places. My heaven is not a place with a bunch of 
cars driving around in it, whether they have drivers or not, whether they're shared or not, my heaven is a place with human beings that look at each other and sit under a tree and hear the wind in the grass, even in a city. And I understand that she thinks that there can be more public spaces and so forth if we do this right. I still think that in order to design cities for these robots to shuttle around efficiently, we're going to be hardening our cities. We're going to be creating uh, environments that you, are... You guys are, you guys are going to force me to take the pro-robot car. Yes, yeah, we're, yes. We're gonna, that's God, right, Aaron. Damn it. it's, it's on you. They're going to yeah. hate me. Everyone's going to hate me, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's okay. <laughs> but look, I mean, so look, so the whole thing, though, is that, like, we have this opportunity right now to fundamentally change the way we do cars and cities. And the thing that is driving that opportunity is the autonomous vehicle and all of this excitement and all of this investment and See, energy Aaron's that's used, Aaron's going using into the tran- technical term autonomous vehicle yes, because it sounds more that. benign than yeah. robot cars. <laughs> yes. Robot cars <laughs> is like Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> yeah, the Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants that. That's but okay. We know which side sounds, he's on. The robots yeah. might be friendly. Autonomous vehicles sound so oh. lovely. And who yes. No, but look, that? what else? What, guys, all right. So we've been fighting for bike lanes, all of us in our neighborhoods and cities yes. for like 15 years. All of us have been involved in some form of advocacy or journalism around that. And it's not fucking working. We're losing. We're losing to Mm. the cars. We are losing the war on cars. And I feel like there is some opening now where if we can somehow leverage this this autonomous vehicle excitement um, and transformation to fundamentally change the way we do cars. Because like just painting stripes on the street is not is so, not getting, so getting excited about show too. I just keep saying that. Yeah, you did say that. Here's the thing. I think a little bell should go off every time <laughs> I say what I'm about to say, because I'll probably say it in every episode, <laughs> okay. which is I was just in the Netherlands. And so you can say the yes. bell can go <laughs> ding, off. Ding, 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 right. ding. And I didn't walk around there thinking, you know how this would be much better, the 1600s churches and the cafes and the canals, if robot cars were mm-hmm. running all over the place. Yeah. I, what was nice about Utrecht or about Amsterdam, or if you go to Paris, or if you go to the, the more pedestrianized parts of, of London, or even here in New York, is that there are no cars. Yeah. You don't, you know, dr- we have lots of driverless cars right now. They're parked on every street. <laughs> Uh, And my street sucks because of all the cars that are parked on there. So I don't need more cars or different cars without drivers. But what if autonomous vehicles are the thing that can make it so that there are less cars? I mean, so I was able to move back from Boston. We had a car. I was able to get rid of a car in part because when I came back to New York City in 2014, Uber was so easy to catch. There were car to goes sitting around on the street. And for the rare occasion when I did need a car, like maybe once a week, I could get a car. And it was just like, and I didn't need to keep my enormous hunk of private property stored at the curbside anymore. But it you was know, fantastic. I don't, I don't think that these cars are going to be stored at the curbside. I think they're going to be stored driving around on the street. They're going to be flowing constantly through the streets, probably yeah. with drones flowing above them in the air, dropping off your Amazon packages. Yeah, and yeah. like, and it's just going to be a constant. And sure, they'll be electric, and they won't be spewing particulate matter. That's nice, um, and they will be quieter. Okay, I'm good with that. But they're going to be constantly. It's going to be like a conveyor belt of cars. Imagine that. Imagine how horrifying that is. Yeah, I was thinking uh, that exact same thing that. Cars right now, the way we use them are terrible, but in a way they follow this sort of circadian rhythm of human beings, right? That at night, my street, which is pretty busy during the day, is actually quite quiet. We're on a first floor front apartment and I can sleep pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I am worried about that future where 
the companies or the cities say, you know what, we're going to get rid of the parking and you will get a little bike lane on your street or a parklet or something like that. But now these private companies that are running the fleets, because we know that that's what's going to happen. It's not going to be the MTA or public agencies are just going to let these things run rampant all night and all day. And, and also like the whole Internet of Things thing, which this is part of, let's remember that this is your every move that you make, every decision that you make, every check you bounce, although you won't have checks anymore, is going to be entered into this system. That means that the idea of moving around in your city is going to become increasingly predicated on the idea that there's some overall database that you're part of, that these vehicles are part of, and that you won't ha- even have access to potentially. So you, so you think like robot cars are going to almost have like facial recognition. And oh, if absolutely. They, and they if will they see have. that you're, you have like, you know, too many sort of unhappy I would uh, say facial recognition technology is farther along than driverless car technology yeah. and it's likely to you guys be are wildly installed. paranoid. Yeah. No, no, I'm not paranoid because in China this is already happening. I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard about social credit, the idea of social credit in China, which is, you know, th- there was an article that ABC did that that had a guy who couldn't make a train reservation because he was an investigative journalist and he had low social credit and they wouldn't let him make a train reservation. Well, imagine that the prime way of moving around your city is on these autonomous vehicles. And because you're, you know, wrote something that pissed off the government that that you can't get into one of them and then you can't walk around because people don't walk anymore. I mean, okay, but it's, it's so speculative. I mean, like, let's turn to what we have now, which is just our cities are jam-packed full of exhaust spewing, horn honking, child killing, two-ton murder machines that just are dis- at literally destroyed. Like our cities are being laid waste to right now by the technology that we have on the street. And I just feel like if we have an opportunity to change that technology, we should be all over it. And we should actually be, and we shouldn't be like seeding the ground to like Silicon Valley and the automobile industry. Like it's like policy thinkers like us and in our realm should be driving it. And when we're, when we just oppose it, I feel like we, we sort of miss an opportunity to kind of shape how this technology can actually work best for cities. Yeah, I mean, I don't oppose it, right? I belong to Zipcar, I belong to Car2Go, and it's allowed me to not have to own a car. So in a way, you know, it's it's the same philosophy, right? That that Zipcar that's on the street that I use is used by 7, 10, 20 other people in a week, whatever it is. And if none of us own a car, or if only 10 of those people own a car, that's still better for the city. So I, I see the potential in a driverless car model that follows something like that. My fear is that you would have these big companies like an Uber, like a Lyft, or, you know, they get swallowed up by Google or something like that. And those companies tend to be less concerned with the public good. But than, less concerned than, even than what? As, than like General Motors? Like, I mean, oh, actually, sure, those, no, yeah. I would rather have all the cars in the city owned by a fleet where you can like go to Google and be like, hey, guys, your car killed someone, you know, in, in, uh, the West Village yesterday, like you need to fix that problem. And they actually would like put 20 engineers on it and try to fix it. Right now it's like GM is like, not our problem. Right. Okay. Yes. But you know, you want to talk about paranoid. Let's, let's go to another paranoid uh, scenario, which is hacking. Uh, you know, now you have a system that is vulnerable to whatever kind of actor might decide to, you know, interfere with it. And I guess I just feel like these things further curtail my freedom, my freedom 
to make my own choices about how I move around and how I, like what kind of inner life I have from just being able to walk around the city without being monitored. And I know that sounds like crazy libertarian weirdness, but I, I really feel like I already feel like cars are so, I feel so claustrophobic about cars right now already. And then the idea that they're all just going to be robots that know everything about me is, <laughs> it really makes me feel like Hello, I can't Sarah. breathe. Maybe right. they'll be friendly. Maybe they'll be like Sarah. They will. Know? They yeah. will say. Can we offer will. you a coffee? We're you know just, what? Yeah, the that, Starbucks car is going to swing I, by. I, I mean, how no, no. 2000. It knows, it knows you want a coffee. No, no, no. Yeah. Hal was that, really friendly to Dave, that, I got to say, yeah. until Hal he wasn't. <laughs> until he wasn't. Like, I already have this phone that knows all this shit about me. Like, I don't want a big car roaming around that knows about me like i just i'm sorry See, I, I feel like the one the one place <laughs> the one place in the city where i really want big brother to exist is in the realm of cars okay. like i i think it's insane that we have a we have a system now where a person can literally take their car run over someone else and drive off in the middle of manhattan yeah. actually even in daylight hours and then it might be actually impossible to catch that person that seems crazy to me that you yeah. can do that and i would like for every intersection in manhattan to have some sort of sensor or camera that is like watching traffic i would like for every car to have some sort of sensor or device in it where like there it's systemic and it and you know it's being managed by some sort of all-knowing uh, New York City traffic system. And I would like it for it to be virtually impossible to get away with a hit and run or some other insane sociopathic driving infraction. And I would also like for that system not to, you know, invade our privacy and be used for other nefarious purposes, which ultimately- That's, that's the peril, I think. Problem, <laughs> how, do you, how do you really, how do you uh, keep that contained? That's my, that's my question about that. I mean, I think it's interesting. This is like an area where probably the far left and the far right totally, totally, yeah. totally align, right? Because they don't yeah. want an invasion of privacy or even just the basic socio-cultural, like American independent spirit. You do hear a lot of people say, oh, I would never get into even a perfectly working, safe, driverless car because I like the power and control yeah. and independence of being able to grab a steering wheel and go wherever I want to go. It's like, you know, it's my, my horse yeah. and I'm the cowboy. Yeah. Uh, nobody would want a cowboyless horse in America. Right. Um, and so <laughs> does such a thing exist? Um, I guess they're just called horses. Yeah. Um, but you know, so it's, it's this really interesting thing that's kind of cutting at, which is probably good that we're having this discussion, what it means, what role does the car play in American culture? And what I was thinking about when we listened to Robin's video was this idea of human interaction, right? So her version of hell is a drugstore no longer has retail space. It just sends stuff out, puts stuff in the trunk of a driverless car, and it goes, and you come out of your house and grab your prescription and go back inside. I like going to my pharmacy yeah. and I like talking to my pharmacist yeah. and I like going to my dry cleaners and, right. and my local bodega yeah. and I know those guys yep. and they know me and there's that social capital and I know that I can run in there if there's a problem yep. and uh, people leave their keys there, you know, if they live upstairs. And I think that, yeah, that hell is that we move farther and farther away from each other and that is what, what a city is is people making interactions with other people. And I worry about that with driverless cars. Like Sarah said, that it would harden those interactions and, and yeah, separate them. It, it turns everything into zeros and ones and black and white and on and off. You don't have the gradations and the nuances that human interaction contains because 
that's not functional. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. And I guess in a way, like we've all been to variations of what we feel is heaven. You know, when you visit Copenhagen with right. your, ding, ding, with ding, your ding, young, ding, 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 the alarm ding, has ding, ding, to go ding, off ding. again. But like you visit a city that's really bike friendly with your family and you see that like, oh, my, my seven and nine year old children can bike around the city at all hours. They have access to every part of it. They don't have to wear helmets because they've simply set the city up so that it's possible for this really clean, fast, efficient, cheap form of transportation, which is perfect for the urban environment to work really well. And to me, that's, it's like we have heaven and it doesn't require like tons of algorithms and technology and monitoring. It actually just requires like removing cars from cities and yeah. allowing people to walk and bike and use really reliable, good transit. Then again, that gets to the thing that, that in this country, having a human scale city where you can do all those things is becoming a commodity that's only available to the affluent. And that is something that also terrifies me, that more and more people who are even middle class, certainly working class, are being pushed farther and farther to the margins. And they're the ones who are going to be existing in these environments where you don't have human interaction. It's only going to be if you're like a high-income person that you get to like, okay, but, ooh, look, I know, get to go to a store. <laughs> I, I actually think that there could be really unintended consequences with, with these autonomous cars where like actually autonomous cars might be free. You can catch one because when you're sitting inside one, you're going to be served ads yeah. and you're going to be like given products to buy. And the auto whoever is running the autonomous car is going to do everything they can to get you inside of it so that they can sell you stuff. It's going to be part of audience. your Amazon Prime totally. membership. Or, yeah. or certain cars won't take you to certain places because they're not owned by the same company. Right, exactly. Yeah, that could be bad. Or yeah. it'll be used for freight. You know, the stuff that we, like, we're going to be in this sort of wealthy enclave of, like, Brownstone, Brooklyn, and Manhattan, and we're going to all be biking around, and hopefully we're yeah. going to have functioning transit again someday and walking, and we're going to be served by autonomous freight vehicles. Meanwhile, there's going to be this, like, labor force that's totally out of work, the guys yeah. who used to drive and deliver everything. And they're going to be somewhere on the outskirts. The banlieue, exactly, I right? Mean, yeah. There's sort of, there really is like, a, I mean, the labor piece is actually really the, I feel like maybe the darkest piece. Yeah, I mean, you there's... Know, what happens to the drivers? Yeah. So many people are employed I driving mean, in this country. truck driving is yeah. uh, that the, those people should probably be afraid of what's going to be happening because that will be, their jobs will be decimated. I know. And I, I still, I just can't help but be a little bit excited about the robot car revolution because I'm just so desperate for the current uh, status quo of cars in the city to change. And I feel like this is a chance to change it. I was thinking a little bit about, um, we were talking about freedom and we're talking a lot about cities, but I was actually thinking about my sister-in-law who lives in a suburb of Milwaukee and how so much of her life is has been spent chauffeuring her kids around. Oh my God. Uh, my the niece Midwest. just went off to college. So it's like a little bit more freedom now that she doesn't have to take her everywhere. So the, the promise of a driverless car would be you're a parent and your kid needs to get to a friend's house or to soccer practice yeah. and you don't have to drive them. You yeah. summon a car, it shows up, the kid gets in the back seat. Yeah. There might not even be anything called a back seat anymore with these things. And off they go. And maybe there's a camera in there. They've got their phone. You know they're fine. Yeah. They're gone. That's great because now you can go to the gym, get some work done at home or get to the office early or whatever you need to do. 
then I think about, well, wait a minute, it sucks that kids are being driven everywhere, that we you still haven't replaced that problem. Yeah. Right. So now instead of your kid sitting in the back seat looking at their iPad while you're in the front listening to talk radio, it's they're sitting in the no, car watching not, their iPad no, and you're at home even worse, watching they're, they're CNN like, or Fox. They're yeah. riding a, you know, jewel sponsored vaping mobile. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Where like they get like free vapes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 No, but they up and they're, now they're hooked so, on AVs so and yeah. vapes. So I see that this is a sort of perhaps six of one, half a dozen of the other sort of problem. I mean, I, I would like to say that I, I think it's clear that for certain people, driverless cars are going to be a real boon. I mean, for people with disabilities, for older people who can't drive themselves uh, any longer and who live in places that are only served by personal motor vehicles, for younger people who aren't able to drive yet, um, these are going to be life-changing, positive technologies that give people freedom and agency. And I don't want to dismiss that. I mean, ha- have you guys driven any of these newer cars with the autonomous features starting to come in, the safety no, features? I, well, I have like the thing where it beeps where you go over a line. Yeah. That I've had, yeah. I, so I've, I I had a really new rental car a, a couple months ago, and it actually would stay within the line. So if you started to drift, Ooh. it would jerk the steering wheel back, and you could oh. feel it in your hands. Or if, you, um, if a car braked in front of you, and this happened once, um, the autonomous features of the car braked my car Ooh. before I did. Right. And I was just like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. So it was really, really jarring and freaky. And my first instinct was like, ask my wife to grab the like manual out of the dashboard and yeah. turn off all of the features. Yeah. This is like when people ran out of the movie theater, right? They're like one of some of the first movies was like a train yeah. coming at the yeah. screen. They thought the train they was coming right at them. They That's just like totally were terrified. Like. This is where we are in humanity but, right but, now. But I mean, it's, it's interesting to think, I mean, one of the things that happened in the incident in Arizona where the person was killed by the, by the driverless car, which had a person in it who was supposed to be the fail safe, right? That there was a test driver or whatever that, you know, the person in the car was supposed to. We should probably say exactly what happened, right? It was an Uber Uber testing car. Yeah. And it was on a highway in Arizona. I think it was sort of an arterial road. Arterial road in Arizona. And it had a fail safe operator in there who was supposed to grab the wheel if something happens beyond the capacity of the car. But she was sitting there staring at her she phone. She was staring at her phone. A woman was pushing a bicycle. Yep, I think she that was had a homeless shopping woman. bags. Yeah, she yep. had shopping bags hanging off. And of was it. in the roadway. And this woman who was looking at her phone didn't see this. And the car, she hit this woman and killed her. Yes. We want to be paying attention to something. We can't just sit. You know, we're not yeah. going to all just sit in the car and like look out the window at the clouds, right? So we're going to be on our phone or we're going to do whatever it is that we want to do, watch a movie or whatever. And so if there is a situation where you have to react, you're not going to be there for it. So I I experienced this in the, in the car that we just rented where, you know, eventually I did get used to the features and I started with the autonomous features and I started playing with them a little bit and Mm -hmm. I got used to them. And I thought it was pretty amazing that the car um, I actually saw the guy break in front of me. The car still was faster than my brain mm-hmm. and my foot, yep. um, which was amazing. And so I was like, okay, let's let's start playing with this and using it. And one of the things I noticed, like by the end of this four-hour drive, 
was that I was starting to space out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And at one point we were going almost 90 miles an hour, which is much faster than I ever drive. But it just was so easy to go 90 miles an hour. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to swerve out of a lane. I wasn't going to hit a car three lengths in front of me because this machine was going to break for me. Mm -hmm. So in a weird way, the autonomous features were allowing me to drive in a way that was sort of more dangerous. Yeah. And that's the question when they go fully autonomous, right? When When you don't need the human there as the backup. Will the algorithm say, we can have all of these cars going 75, 80, 90 miles an hour through cities because they have the technology to slow down and stop immediately? We've taken the human out of the equation. And if that's what's happening, you know, that the companies or cities are saying, oh, it's perfectly safe for these cars now to go as fast as we want. We don't need speed limits. That's going to create a real hell for pedestrians, people just sitting on the side of the road, you know, you know, at a cafe or, or cyclists who are going down the road. Yeah. Or this question of of intersections, the idea that like, wow, if the cars are all talking to each other and they're all autonomous, then we can create a flow of cars through intersections. You know, nobody ever has to sit and wait. And it'll, if you're commuting a long distance, it's going to be so great because lights are not going to be the same as they are now where you just have to sit for this prescribed amount of time. But yes, exactly. Like the idea that pedestrians, I mean, already pedestrians have to, in many parts of the country, press what are so lovely, the term beg buttons in order to cross the street. And and it's just going to be like that, but on steroids, that human beings, the idea that a human being is going to cross the street is going to just be laughable. Right. And, and, and people aren't going to do it. They're but not going to try. But I guess we also have this weird New York City perspective, right, where we actually do have a city that is still fundamentally dominated by pedestrians, and probably the rest of the country doesn't really have that perspective. You but know? people still do. There are right. still pedestrians, and there are still people who don't have the resources to have a car, whether they be financial or in terms of their documentation or their age or their ability to drive. Yeah. And and those people are just going to get further and further marginalized. And if you think this stuff isn't going to be used to increase economic and racial inequity in this country, you're dreaming. <laughs> yeah. Damn. So I guess I'm the heel. <laughs> it's, Sarah's the face and Doug is, is the referee. Is that how this is going to go? Yeah. It's. Yeah. No, I it think sucks. you're right about Mommy, so Daddy, much, please man. don't fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that's our episode for today. Uh, we'll be coming back with a new episode shortly. And um, you know, what what do you think we should talk about on that one? Well, you know, we've been talking about um, cars or guns, which is worse. That's one thing I I, I want to get to that one. Uber just announced that it's going to spend $10 million over the next three years on a fund for sustainable mobility. Uh, I think that's pretty big. I'm totally interested in what's going on there. For me, I want to talk about parking. I I think that parking is at the root of almost every discussion we're probably going to have on this podcast. We want to just remind you all to please support us on Patreon. Check us out, patreon.com, the War on Cars pod, and donate at whatever level you feel comfortable with. Um, For our next episode, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you want us to talk about, any questions you might have. So send us an email at thewaroncars at gmail.com. Yeah, and, and send your complaints and quibbles and outrage and all of that good stuff. We want to hear everything you have to say. Yeah. Enlist. We want you. We need you to join us in the war on cars. This episode was recorded by Peter Carl. The music comes from Nathaniel Goodyear. Our producer is Curtis Fox. I'm Doug Gordon. I'm Sarah Goodyear. Aaron Napperstack. Thanks for listening. 
did you guys see there was one tweet where somebody was like, oh, so that, I finally know how you pronounce Napperstein. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm always a little nervous, and I've known you for well, a long time. My own family pronounces it differently. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. yeah. There's Naparstex and Napperstex.